All of my friends in college thought I was crazy. They're like, oh, look, he's trying to be one of those Mark Zuckerberg or whatever. My parents thought I was nuts. My sister thought I was crazy. Sean Mendes, Cardi B, Justin Bieber, and more. These are avatars of celebrities that were made by a startup called Genies. Genies is now partnering with established brands like Gucci and Warner Music, and its investors are big names. Akash Nigam is the co-founder and mastermind behind Genies that has raised over $250 million and is valued at over $1 billion. Back then in 2016, we said the word avatar. People thought I was talking about the booty avatar. Like I had to define for them like what an actual avatar was. Genius is by many considered the number one avatar company in the world and preferred by celebrities and major brands to create their digital identities. We wouldn't get any downloads. Like we would get like maybe 10, 15, 20 downloads or whatever. And you're like, okay, like we just put in 365 days of blood, sweat, and tears and we flopped in like the biggest way possible. But let's move on to the next thing. Akash has recently opened up about his depression and his struggles behind the success that very few people see. In hindsight, I think I suffered from anxiety and depression my entire life. And I think like it really hit a low when I dropped out of school because you lost everybody, right? So I think that's the start of my depression for sure. I couldn't go out and try to find anybody that could relate to my experience. Probably the best decision I've ever made in my life, I think, was... So I'm here today with Akash Nigam, uh, born and raised in California. You're uh, CEO and the co-founder of Genius um, Unicorn that raised over $250 million from Bob Iger of, um, of Disney, uh, Silver Lake, Bond, uh, etc. And uh, you're calling in from uh, Los Angeles today, right? Yes, sir. Whereabouts in LA are you located? Venice. Venice, California. Venice. Nice. In the, in the younger days, were you always entrepreneurial or um, when did that start for you? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I was born in Silicon Valley, as cliche as that sounds. Um, I was born and raised in Mountain View, California. And when you're born in that area, it's kind of hard not to get bitten by the bug pretty early on. I used to make this joke, you know, I played soccer my entire life. Um, that the right forward's mom was this VC and left forward's dad was this CEO and the center back's, uh, you know, uncle was a director of engineering and whatever. And so through osmosis, you just learn so much. Um, and so back then, like when you're around that type of energy, I think you get addicted to the hustle and you get addicted to the concept of being able to create something that a lot of other people can also enjoy, right? So it doesn't seem that far-fetched to be able to create a company that could disrupt so many people because you know so many people in the area that have done that that are just like you and, and, and you've seen them at barbecues or you've seen them at, at different parties or you see them at school and, and things of that nature, right? So the barrier to entry just seems so low. So I feel like because of that, I started getting into the quote-unquote game pretty early on. Um, started at the age of 14 and it was building a bunch of different companies, a bunch of different apps. They all sucked. One of them kind of worked. Um, but for the most part, they all sucked. Uh, but it was, it was nice being able to learn. I think that early on, you dip your toes in the water, you kind of start to see like, all right, these are the things that I thought 100% were going to work, but 99% of them failed. So now I'm better off for the next time that I want to try something. And the risk at that age is so low, right? Like I'm living in my parents' house. I'm in high school. I can do kind of whatever I want to do. And the only thing I need to worry about is how much time can I carve out on the weekends when I'm not studying for school to be able to work on this project? So... um, 
Yeah. I mean, been, been entrepreneurial very early on. A bunch of my friends have been too. And I think that's what's so special about that place. So when you were 14, did you learn yourself to code at this age or how did you get started? Even though you're in the heart of like, you know, Mountain View or in Silicon Valley, like how did you get started? Cause it's like, it's like something different from what most teenagers do. You know, my dad, he came here from India and he was computer science through and through. And he kind of had one rule for our family. It was, he didn't really care too much if you were, it was, it was pretty extreme, but he would be like, yeah, I don't really care if like, you're in a gang. I don't care if you deal with drugs. Like, I don't care what, you can do whatever you want. The one rule I have in this family is you need to learn how to code. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I'm not going to join a gang and I'm not going to, I'm obviously not going to be a drug dealer, but. As long um, as you code, it's fine. You, yeah. As long as you're coding the different routes to drop off the drugs for the gang, the hero of the day. No, but yeah. he was, he was, he was just trying to make a point that look like having a technical background, considering that you and your sister are very, very naturally entrepreneurial and from his prerogative, very, very, um, he thought that we already had naturally a ton of different ideas that we wanted to pursue. He was like, what's going to help you the most is if you have a technical background so that one, if you want to build it yourself, you can, or two, if you want to be able to hire people or bring people on board to be able to help you execute this, you're not going to get tricked and you can get on the right people, right? Um, because a lot of people that are non-technical and they're founders and they're just entering the game for the very first time, they have no network, they have no money, which was me, right? Um, you know, a lot of uh, technical, technical people or any of the co-founders, one, you're probably not going to appeal the right technical co-founder if you aren't, uh, if you don't have like a past good track record or you're not technical yourself. Like they do respect that quite a bit when you have technical acumen. Um, and then number two uh, you want to make sure that the people that are coming on board, if they're not, you know, if they're, if they're, if they're, if, if they're really, really high quality, that they're also not taking advantage of the company and, and, and taking you on for a spin, right? So it's like, okay, great. Like I want 60% of the company. I want 50% of the company because you need me that bad. So it just gives you a lot of leverage. I feel like if you have a technical background, um, but it's something that he was pretty passionate about making sure that, that our entire family had. So take me back to this time when you started feel like, you know, you wanted to start companies. And even though you were in Silicon Valley, I guess this was something different to your classmates anyway, right? Yeah. Like, I feel like it was even outside of just companies. I feel like if there was like a school assignment, like I was, you know, my parents would go to a, a, a teacher parent conference or whatever. And they would come back and be like a cause like the teachers are saying, like, you're not following directions, like literally at all. And the reason why is because like they would come up with like a prompt. Let's say it was even third grade. They would come up with a prompt and they'd be like, hey, we want you to write, not even, you know, sixth grade. We want you to write this essay. And um, these are all the different topics that we want you to cover. And everybody would be turning in papers. But I just didn't want to do what everybody else was doing. So instead, I would put on like a suit jacket. I would pretend that I was uh, a news anchor. I would get... Um, I would get a video recorder. I would record myself as if I was a news anchor and come up with a whole skit around, you know, going over all the topics of the essay and it was covering some time in history. And then I would turn in like a video cassette and they'd be like, what's this? Where's your paper? I was like, oh no, just trust me. Like I do everything that you want me to do, but I just did it in a different format just because I wanted it to be unique and set apart from everybody else. So um, I'd feel like, yeah, like, kids in the area were just like a cautious just doing stuff a little differently and i think specifically when it came to the companies and the apps yeah there were a handful though like you'd be surprised like there were a handful of kids and i think it's growing and growing even more like if i go back to my high school today 
I think the barrier to barrier to entry just continues to decrease by age. And there's probably a decent amount of freshmen and sophomore that are consistently building apps. Like I remember when I was in high school, there was no CS uh, class offered, right? Mm. Now it's like CS is being offered at the elementary level. So mm. there are a lot of people that are building really cool stuff. And it's kind of even spawning outside of just mobile apps. Now you're starting to see people that are building like really cool, sophisticated games and Roblox and, and other places as well. Can you tell me about some of these companies that you were starting or the apps or like the projects? You have one called uh, Pizza and Dollars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pizza and Dollars was, was a good one. You know, back in the day when all of my dad's friends would come over for a barbecue, they were all kind of coming out with their own apps or their own websites back in Web2 that were targeting my demographic at the time, kind of like the youth, right? It was like the very first time you started to see that happen in Web2 is like what led to the birth of so many of the social networks that you see today, right? Like Facebook was just about to start coming up and so forth. And, um, and that was all the hype. And um, I would ask them, I'd be like, hey, like, how do you know what I want? How do you know that what my friends want? And they would say, oh, don't worry, we hire these consultants or we hire a bunch of um, people from research that go conduct these widespread surveys to be able to accrue all of these answers that then inform us how we want to be able to adjust our product or how we want to build our next suite of products. And I was like, that's so dumb. I was like, you know, like, I feel like, I feel like surveys are so are uh, are so inaccurate. I feel like you're getting transactional answers. I'm trying to think about the people that would even be cert- like filling out the survey. Like there's not accurate to the center of culture. And so I said, you know, what would be way better is if I brought 500 of my friends to come to your place, to, to come to your office and start playing around with your product firsthand. And you can have a live Q&A dialogue with them, right? And so, um, you know, I ended up just saying like, look, like the only thing that you have to do is pay Everybody that I bring to your offices over a four-week period, just make sure that you buy them all pizza, and then you pay us dollars in comparison to whatever you were paying the research assistants and also the consultants. And so that was one business that did quite well. It was just basically like a Gen Z product consulting firm, or not Gen Z, I guess at that time it was just a a culture, cult, yeah, whatever it was, and millennials, I guess, right? Um, <clears throat> And then I had a bunch of other apps that were around social and consumer. Like they were around how do you optimize internet behaviors that allow you to be able to be more expressive. So I messed around in photo messaging, video messaging, um, chat bots, things of that nature. And uh, what would you say was like the first thing that you can connect the dots, what you're doing today to? Were you already thinking about what Genius is today? Yeah, I think at the age of 21 is when I really got deep into social and consumer. I've always been really fascinated with the way that humans behave. Like, I think that's like the one thing that's been really consistent in my life. It's just like the obsession around how humans interact. And at the end of the day, you know, that's like one thing that is never lost in society. It's like the ability or the earnest desire to communicate with other humans and uh, cultivate new connections or new relationships that you care about that you can share experiences with is always going to remain. It's just a method of communication continues to evolve. And it continues to evolve depending on the context in which you're born within, right? So like back then, like the internet was just coming about. So AIM was so amazing for me because I was like, oh my God, like you're telling me that like, in order to talk to that girl, I don't have to go there in person and have to like, you know, be X, Y, and Z uh, in the physical world, but I can get onto AIM and I can be far more expressive with this mode of text. That's not going to just justify, that's not going to justify the expression desires of people today. 
because people today are born within a different context. They're born into TikTok. And TikTok is like a revolving Times Square of all the different video content and noises and songs that are out there today. They need something way more expressive that embodies every inkling of their emotion. So I think starting at the age of 21, um, you know, I'm, uh, I'm introverted in so many different ways. I think a lot of people think I'm like an extrovert. I'm introverted in so many ways. And I was just building different social apps that would allow, that, that, that would allow me to easier express different segments of my emotion and my personality that my physical self just didn't feel comfortable doing. So that's why I started with, you know, messaging apps, then I went into photo messaging, then I went into video messaging, and those were kind of missing the point. And you could feel like it wasn't encompassing enough of who I was until really digging into avatars. And so it was a consistent through line throughout. The whole point was in social consumer, can we create different tools on the internet that allow you to utilize or express rather um, different sides of your personality? And eventually landed on the concept of an avatar and having an, an art concept that encapsulated every single segment of my imagination. It felt like the very first time that I could do something meaningfully without using text, photo, or video. And so what was your life like during this time when you were developing the apps and testing these new different ideas? You said you were an introvert. Were you staying home a lot, like not being that much out there in the physical world? What was the life of Akash back then? I mean, it started in college, right? So in college, it was funny. I was working with a couple buddies um, that went to Penn at the time and I was in Michigan. So I spent a lot of time actually in Philadelphia. Uh, because I would just get on different planes, whatever we could afford at the time, get on a plane like once every two months, sit down together, try to make as much headway as we could during that week. I would miss all my classes and then I would come back to school and we would just be doing as many phone calls as possible. Skipping class all the time, like like never went to lecture or went to any of like my, my smaller discussions and it was just prioritizing whatever we were building. And we would devote in like a year for one product. We'd skip all of our classes, we'd devote our entire summer, and then we would release it on market. And like I was saying, it's like, we wouldn't get any downloads. Like we would get like maybe 10, 15, 20 downloads or whatever. And you're like, and that's how many users you would have. And you're like, okay, like we just put in 365 days of blood, sweat and tears and we flopped in like the biggest way possible, but let's move on to the next thing. So we probably came out with four to five different apps during the college period and it was, it was it was lonely in the sense that no one else, none of my other friend groups at Michigan could relate to it, right? Like everybody was mm -hmm. going to class, everybody was going through the normal college protocol. Whereas I was so obsessed with what we were building that I kind of had my own lane, my own agenda, and my own protocol that was difficult to relate to um, outside of anybody else that I was building with. And then when you when you came to the idea of genius, which before that sprung out of blend is that right yeah is that how it came yeah, yeah, about yeah exactly mm -hmm. um did you feel like that was you know an escape from your reality then or was it like this is a you know a great idea i'm gonna go for it yeah no i mean like look i i feel like i feel like when you're that age you're dreaming so big, right? You're like, oh my God, like, you know, I feel like this is something that everybody could benefit from. I want everybody to be able to use our product. Like, it's kind of the same way that, and you know, a chef, like when they're making food, right? And they're like cooking up like a dope dish, like what brings them back to the kitchen every single time is seeing the look on everybody's face when they're trying the dish that they've made, right? And they're like, oh my God, that was awesome. Like, I like seeing the satisfaction. And, and it's the same thing here. Like, I think when you're building a product, you want to see how satisfied people are with your creations. And I think we're just creatives at the end of the day. 
I don't know if it was an escape. I will say that college wasn't for me. Like I did drop out of school for this, right? So college wasn't for me, but I think it was more because again, going back to what I was saying about when I was in third grade, I didn't want to adhere or do what everybody else was doing. I wanted to find my own creative expression and path. I think that's what Blend was for me too, right? Or any of the different apps or any of the different companies that we're coming out with. It's like, you know, it is an expression of myself. Like the creations are an expression of who you are, right? Like there's artists who make art. There's people like you, a content creator that makes content. And this is your production. At the end of the day, that's an expression of Gustav. Same thing over here. It's like, you know, we're building these products and like, you can sense that there's a flavor of our TLC in every single step of the way. So I feel like it was, you know, I become very passionate about things that we, we, we believe that, um, other people like us will enjoy eventually. But, um, but I, I, I do agree with you. I think like in the very beginning, there probably was a little bit of escapism because I wasn't enjoying being in the situation where I was in college and I would have rather, and I wanted to devote a hundred percent of my time and a hundred percent of my heart and soul into something that was giving me joy, which was blind. And what led you to drop out of college and how much time did you have left? Blend? <laughs> so here's, here's like, the, yeah. So I only had eight credits left. Um, so I was really, So that's really like close. one semester. Yeah. Yeah. Or, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, uh, I was a triple major. So this is the ironic part is that I was a triple major, uh, with computer science, econ and financial math. And I actually was trying to get all three majors that in the very beginning of school, I would stay an extra semester during summer to finish it up while working on other projects, only to literally drop out at the very end and bail out everything. So it was like super ironic. Um, but Blend started catching fire at the end. That's why. So Blend was like the first app that we came out with. And it was, just, you know, it, it was a college exclusive social network with a few e-commerce gimmicks here and there. Uh, but we ran like a few pretty crazy like campaigns that ended up yielding a ton of users and also notoriety on the media stage as well. To the extent where like, you know, CNN is talking about it, New York Times is writing an article. It's all over the news. I mean, like I went to Michigan. So like the, the, the first marketing ploy we came out with was saying, if you download the app from Ohio State, which is our arch rival, we're just going to start deleting all of your accounts. So we started deleting everybody's account from our arch rivals. And they were like, uh, all the news tablets love that type of stuff. So that started to go around town. Everybody in Michigan became, um, uh, became impassioned by this. They were like, oh, this is, this is amazing. Like, of course, we want to rep anything that's, that's Michigan and Michigan grown. Um, and so it ended up getting, you know, a ton of users, at least at that time. But to us, it was a ton of users. You know, we're used to having 20 users at a time. We ended up getting 50,000 users, then 100,000 users, and 200,000 users. And I remember when my mom calling me, she was like, Akash, whatever you do, please make sure that you finish school. And I was like, mom, don't worry, I got you. And I remember I was like in the, I was in the engineering library at the top floor. And the next day I went to the admin office. I got my withdrawal papers. And then I went back home and my dad was standing at the top of the staircase. He was like, yeah, you shouldn't, you can't be here. Um, and so like, yeah, it was a massive riff of my family. They were pissed. I mean, like, you know, I come from uh, an Indian household. Um, education is like the number one thing in an, in, in, in an Indian household. And I kind of contradicted that in every single way possible. Um, and so I ended up spending most of my time in our initial first office, which was a small room attached to a mosque in San Jose for like $400 a month. Uh, while me and my family had a huge rift because they were like, you know, they thought I was crazy. They were like, Akash is dropping out of school. He had eight credits left. He's chasing this dumb app called blend. We think it's going to be a fad and he doesn't really know what he's doing. Um, 
And so, you know, over time, obviously the narrative changed quite a bit, but yeah, it was, it was a pretty difficult time for sure. Yeah. You talked about like your, your mental health during this time. Like, what, can you tell me a little bit about that? <clears throat> yeah. I mean, like, look, I think like in hindsight, I think I suffered from anxiety and depression my entire life. Um, and I think I knew that when I was getting into my twenties, specifically when I was in college. And I think like it really hit a low when I dropped out of school because you lost everybody, right? Like all of my friends in college thought I was crazy. They're like, oh, look, he's trying to be one of those, you know, Mark Zuckerberg or whatever. Like he's chasing a dumb dream. Um, my parents thought I was nuts. My sister thought I was crazy. Um, and all my hometown friends are back at their colleges, right? Like they're not there. They're, they're in school. So I'm back in my hometown in a small room attached to a mosque in San Jose with just my uh, co-founders at the time. And it's become super, super lonely, especially when things hit the fan, right? So it's not like Blend ended up skyrocketing and becoming the next big thing. It, start, it, it ultimately failed. And so when you're going through that low and you have nobody else to be able to, um, to confide in or you have nobody else to be able to gather support from, it becomes tough. Um, so I think that's the start of my depression for sure. And it just made me feel very um, reclused. I couldn't, I couldn't go out and try to, you know, find anybody that could relate to my experience. I couldn't find anybody that wanted to support their experience uh, outside of, again, like just like my, my co-founder. So it was super tough. That was definitely the start of it all. And I still struggle with it today. I mean, I tweeted this morning. I, I, it was kind of like a joke to an extent, but like I, I've had such a bad anxiety even this week. And I feel like, you know, I've been trying to optimize and find my own science and find my own tricks about like what will help it. It doesn't mean that I'm not enjoying what I'm doing. I think this is the most fun I've ever had over the past three years, especially coming out about my depression and anxiety uh, publicly. I think it's been really, really helpful for me and having a therapist, having meditation and, and drinking a shit ton of water and just like small little tricks here and there that help me. But it exists and it persists. And I think it's just growing in frequency every single generation that's born. I wanted to just touch on one more thing on that topic because I think it's so interesting. I think a lot of people struggle with different types of mental health, you know, whether it's uh, depression, anxiety, or a combination of, you know, a lot of different things. But what I think is common for very many is just kind of like the stigma that is still around it and not talking about it, you know, especially not in public. What happened when you when you open up to not only your closest friends and circle, but also like, you know, the public. Yeah, that was a unique time, right? Cause that was in the middle of the pandemic. And that's when my depression really got gnarly because um, I ended up cutting out of my lease here in Santa Monica cause I didn't want to pay 2000 because we had to shut down the office, right? So nobody was coming to the office anymore. It was kind of like, this is back when we were 30 people or so. We were in a residential building here in, uh, here in Venice and I lived in Santa Monica and I was broke. So I was like, you know, I don't want to spend $2,000, $2,500 a month on um, my lease. They were saying, Hey, do you want to renew your lease? And we're going to increase it by another like 300 bucks. And I was like, nah, I'm going to cut out of it. I'm just going to move my bed into the office because nobody's coming into the office anymore. So I moved into the office here in Venice in 2019, 2020. And I would just sleep there. I'd wake up in the morning. I'd be surrounded by desks. Nobody was coming in. I'd get up. I'd take out my laptop. It's just Zoom 24-7. I was going early morning till super late night because that's when we were also spitting up and we were getting a lot of traction in Asia. So I'd do all my Asia calls super late. I would go to sleep in the bed in the corner. I'd wake up and then I'd get right back to the desk. And that was bad. That, that, I, do not, I do not recommend doing that. And um, 
<laughs> and I started spiraling out of control. It was just like I became, you know, and I was so addicted to work, of course, which I think is good, but there's a huge difference between being addicted and loving it, right? Mm. And so um, I ended up crossing that boundary and I ended up engaging a therapist during this time and I started to open up a bunch, right? It's one thing to be able to, to think so many of these thoughts by yourself, but saying it out loud is a completely different action. Oh, and yeah. when you do that, there's a lot of therapeutic benefit that comes from that. And so having a therapist, you know, like if I was to tackle another problem, is just how do you offer therapy way earlier on in anybody's curriculum when they're born on earth? It's like if mm -hmm. I had a therapist and it was like autom it, 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 was, it, was, it was automatic by the time that I was like eight years old, like that's huge. And so I started to uncover a lot of childhood problems, um, started to uncover and address some of the problems that I had when I dropped out of school. And, you know, when I was talking about it out loud and I felt myself being so much more authentic and I built like a really dope relationship with my therapist and then my girlfriend at the time. And then, you know, a bunch of my other really close friends. And when I started to talk about it more, I felt way better. And like the right people, like the people that I cared about would receive it really well. And then they would open up about their problems and it would result in a really authentic, close relationship. And I was like, I, I might as well just say this to everybody, right? So I ended up doing that and it was, it was welcomed with open arms. It was awesome. It's probably the best decision I've ever made in my life. I think was just being a hundred percent honest about my feelings. Um, I think that in this industry specifically, people want, you know, a strong CEO. They want somebody that like is not like shaken by anything. And I look, I agree with the thick skin aspect of it. I agree with the transactional aspect of it. And I feel like, of course, like that's something that I've embodied. Just understand, you know, I failed a hundred times when I was 14 years old. So this is not foreign territory. But I think being honest about your feelings in any given moment is actually as strong as you can be. Right. And so our entire company today embodies that. Like you hear people talking about their different like mental problems that they're going through and so forth. And other people being able to come to their support to be able to help them through a difficult time and make sure that they can persevere. And it actually just makes you stronger over time. It, it gives you actually thicker mm -hmm. skin, which I think is a common misconception, um, at least for some people that have never tried therapy, that have never tried meditation and whatnot. But it, it was an amazing experience. I think it also is, uh, in my experience, like one of the fastest and also like strongest way to connect with other people is just being vulnerable and talking about okay. things like these because people are just so used to the other side you know and, and talking about that everything's just so good and, and everything's uh, perfect in my life but as soon as you start to get into topics that are kind of like hitting people and uh they're they're relating to themselves you know you you can become as close with somebody as somebody you've known for 15, 10 years. Um, I just think it's, it's so interesting. And it also applies to a workplace, of course. <clears throat> a more vulnerable world equates to a more authentic world that equates to a happier world. Like that's the sequence. So the more that people can talk honestly and openly about their feelings, the better. For sure. I agree with you. And um, were you surprised about like the feeling you had after like, I could imagine myself being nervous if, before doing something like that. I guess a lot of people like reached out and maybe they told their own stories. Were you surprised by what, what happened? Yeah. And I feel like, you know, like, I feel like I was part of like the first wave. Like I don't, there wasn't like a lot of people that had, now there's so, in, in a, such an amazing way. There's so many people that have been able to share their stories over the past few years. 
I remember, I think when I did it, it was not like a well-known thing to do per se. It was foreign territory, like for sure. I remember sitting there being like, yeah, this could, this could go really bad. Like I could see my board letting me go. I could see whatever. Like I was talking to my therapist about it, but I was prepared for that. I was like, my board's going to try to let me go. They're the wrong board. They don't under And then they don't really understand the true ethos of our mission and what avatars can actually do for everybody on earth. They don't understand mm-hmm. avatars as a method of communication and expression versus it being a business of monetization, right? Like they don't get that. Um, so I was nervous going into it for sure. I was mostly nervous though about my family. You know, I didn't tell my family. I was like, mm-hmm. hey, by the way, like, I, I said something like, you know, we were getting covered a lot of the media at that time because for the pandemic, like that was the best thing that probably ever happened for Avatar specifically. Yeah. It's like, hey, like, and, everybody exists virtually. So accelerated our business like crazy. So we're in and this, this in time was in like the spring of 2020 when the, all this happened? Like when, when COVID broke out and yeah, you... I, I think it was, it was right after we raised our series B, we had just raised 65 million bucks and Mary Meeker just joined our board. So it was at the height of like, mm. at least at that point, like we had just been peaking, we had just been crushing it for like a year or so. I think it was early 2021. Um, and then it came out with this and I just texted my parents before I was like, Hey, by the way, this could be a Forbes article that it's tomorrow morning or whatever. Um, just want to let you guys know, like, I love you. Something like that. Cause I had no idea what the article was going to be like, um, which was also kind of scary. Cause I was like, shit, like, I hope they're not, you know, this is such a sensitive thing. Like, I hope that they're going to nail, uh, I hope they're going to nail like the narrative and like the way that I would want to tell it. And so I spent a lot of time with this reporter. Um, and it came out and my parents immediately called me and they were crying, which made, which broke my heart because they were like, we had no idea. Like, oh my God, like, you know what they were, they were, they were, they were, they were, they were terrified. Um, on one hand, but then they were also so happy on another hand that they were like, you're so strong for being able to come out with your feelings. And you have to understand, like my family went from being so intense about education, being like the only way that you can be successful in this earth is if you get like a PhD to like, wow, look, our kid dropped out of school and now has built something that's actually working and could be successful. And if you ask my dad, like, you know, like my dad at one point was like the best decision you made in your entire life was dropping out of school. If I told my dad I was going back to school today, he would give me the same treatment that he gave me when I did drop out of school. So it's funny how shit flips. But it, that you know that day that I came, uh, that day that they called me, and I came out about my depression, and anxiety. They actually, they actually got on a flight from San Francisco and showed up in LA literally the next day with my sister, with her now fiance, and uh, they just spent a lot of time with me. And I think that moment has brought us so close, um, and has been such an eye-opening experience for my entire family and lineage. And then also my entire um, friend circle and community. So, yeah, I think, wow. again, like to your point, like a, a more vulnerable world equals a more authentic world. Yeah. Wow. I, I, it's it's uh, it's a moving story. And I, I'm feeling inspired myself. And I think to anybody like listening, I think it's I very rarely heard somebody regret something like that afterwards. <laughs> I think, totally. you know, what, no, totally. what you what you probably feel is like, why didn't I do this sooner? Uh, that's what I always feel when like going out with, you know, whatever I'm keeping inside. So yeah, props. I, it's, uh, it's very 100%. inspiring. <clears throat> and um, so I want to I wanna go into the genius uh, business. Can you tell me in your own words, like what it is today? Because what I traditionally know, traditionally, it sounds like it's been around since, since, uh, <laughs> since the beginning of times, but before yeah. it, you, it started in avatars, right? You, yeah, we've you been building tell avatars me. since 2016. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and uh, so, how how is that different from you know the last year now? 
So, you know, we've always had this thesis since 2016 that avatars could be the next method of communication, right? Because every means of communication is trying to do one thing, which is trying to make it feel like the other person is present there with you, right? So if you go down the communication timeline, we introduce text, then we introduce audio, then we introduce visual like Zoom and FaceTime. And then finally, we're sitting there being like, how cool would it be if you stop was not just sitting over there in, a, in, my, in my MacBook Pro, but you were sitting right here in a chair next to me, right? And so we have this thesis that that's kind of inevitably where we were heading, considering that we feel like the computing device always dictates what that method of communication is going to look like. And we went from web one being computer, web two being mobile, and we believe that the future of the internet, we weren't calling it web three back then, we're like the future of the internet, we believe inevitably is going to be dictated by AR glasses or headwear in some way, right? And now we're actually right there at the imminent step. Like Apple, like the, the, the king of hardware is getting ready to release some of these upcoming devices. And we feel like that's going to accelerate everybody into this new medium of communication. And we were trying to tinker around. Honestly, like back then in 2016 and 2017, when we said the word avatar, people thought I was talking about the movie avatar. Like I had to define for them like what an actual avatar was. Yeah, um, And now it's become like secondhand nature and so forth or whatever. But the philosophies that we're emitting back then, people were just like, dude, get out of my room. Like, yeah, like if I was pitching and I was trying to raise for money, they're like, like I was getting kicked out of like offices left and right, hung up like every <laughs> single day. Like just like literally that aggressive because I would be so persistent and try to push avatar philosophy that they would literally have to hang up on me. I remember two people specifically. Um, were you were you talking about like was was metaverse a thing in 2016? I can't remember. Was that something people talked no, about or no, like of you course talk... not? No. no, of course not. Um, I, 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 I look look like I don't think the word the term metaverse was mm. not used back then, right? It's all semantics, but the concept for a very specific community, including ourselves, was right. So like it's not like everything you know existing in a virtual world with a brand new concept mm. there have been things like second life there have been things like you know different video games that a club uh, club penguin that have come along the way that hit the same nerve it was just hitting a nerve for a different audience at the time and so if you remember the very beginning when i was talking about you know every single generation needs a different method of expression depending on the context that they're born within right and so the context that people are born within today gaming is not considered this underground weird community like it was 20 25 years ago yeah it's considered the cool thing to do why because that's kind of what they were born into they were born into like my mom's gonna give me an ipad uh when i'm at dinner so that i can play games just to keep myself idle right and then i'm gonna meet other people online versus only solely relying on meeting them in person i've made a lot of internet friends it's not weird to make internet friends anymore you can actually find a lot more authentic connections on the internet if you go search in the right places and so what it is today is, you know, we're an avatar tools company where we're trying to empower humans to be able to create their own avatar ecosystems. Um, and so we believe that the same way that Apple disrupted Web 2 and they gave tools to developers and said, go create your immersive Web 2 experience. And that was the birth of the mobile app store. We want to do the same thing for Web 3 or what AR is going to be and deliver tools that allow people to build what we think are going to be the mobile apps of the new generation and they're going to be avatar ecosystems. I show up as an avatar, and when I say avatar ecosystem, is an avatar app, right? So it's like I show up as an avatar, I can do some type of avatar experience where I have a use case for my avatar. There's avatar spaces, there's avatar amenities, there's avatar objects, um, but I'm interacting with other individuals in this new medium. Um, and so we're building the tools that allow people to be able to cultivate those experiences. 
um over the past few years though like the the initial the initial traction was pretty unexpected um it came from people of high notoriety and celebrities we were not targeting them in the very beginning people asked so like oh cool like how did you have the first initial connections that onboard all these celebrities we didn't even know who caa was i mean the, we, we had no idea who these celebrities were but they were just interested in being able to showcase a different side of their personality so we chased that bone for a while um but now you know the goal is how do we take what we've delivered to people of notoriety to every day to the everyday person for the very first time I think most agree that life is passing by very fast and I try to find ways to make my days more memorable. And one of my favorite ways to naturally break that pattern is to get out of my bubble and try and experience new things. And I've lived in several places in the world and sometimes found that I feel inspired when I'm doing something different. But after also living in the same place for several years, I realized that the challenge stays the same. But one thing that brings me new ideas of things to do is my membership in American Express Platinum. And it's a long list of experiences and offers listed in the app. And some examples are guided tours at ski resorts, members-only menus at top restaurants, discounts for luxury staycations, and gatherings where you also meet other members. So if you're curious about the Platinum Cards offers and experiences, check out the description or on the American Express website. And what was the appeal for these more well-known people in the beginning? Because I can imagine, you know, if you're, you, you've done avatars for like uh, Chon Mendes, Migos, 24K Golden, like so many people. And uh, they get so many opportunities. So I'm just thinking, you know, from my... My business brain starts thinking that, you know, they can do a lot of different types of commercials or partnerships because now they're not just one person. Now they can have multiple personalities yep. and, and, and living in the, Was that how they were thinking about it? And was it used in this way that's as well? How they were, yeah, that's how they were thinking. That's not how we were thinking. <laughs> um, okay. It was, it's funny. I think like a lot of the time when you build a product, the audience and the people, they start utilizing your product in a way that you would have never imagined. And that's why you mm -hmm. want to ship yeah. as quickly as possible and just see how people interact with it, right? Yeah. Um, and so like, you know, the, our first celebrity that ever got onboarded was probably Offset from Migos. And the way that a lot of the celebrities traditionally leverage their avatar was really just to showcase a different side of their personality. It was less for the monetary outcome, honestly, that kind of came later and they realized, oh, I can use it in a commercial. Oh, I can use it for an Instagram promotion. Oh, I can use it in a music video. Oh, I can use it to sell digital goods and wearables, which is kind of like more closely aligned with what they're doing today because now we're offering the opportunity for their fans to be able to create their own avatars. Um, but it was really, truthfully, like Offset has to be Offset 24-7. But there's mm. a different side of, of Offset that his physical self might not feel as comfortable expressing. So he mm. can leverage his genie's uh, avatar to be able to showcase that personality and build its own narrative and build its own story um, without having to, again, compromise on who he is in the physical world. It's just another way to be able to show another side of yourself. Like you're not just one Akash. Like there's like eight Akashes in one Akash. So how do I have the different means to be able to express all eight of those segments? And and then you you were working with like the management teams of these people, and uh, eventually you had like Justin Bieber and all these big names coming in and getting an avatar from Genius. That's how it was, right? And yeah, well, we ended up there. Were, there ended up being, um, you know, 2020 we ended up getting a lot of traction because, you know, entertainment died, right? Like yeah. You couldn't do concerts. You couldn't do festivals. Like you couldn't, all of a sudden everybody's like, shit, I can't do my meetups or whatever. And so they would rely on an avatar to be able to still have that 
physical present interaction with their community. And so we were just the, the aesthetic and we had the, we, we, we had the, uh, we were the preferred aesthetic of an avatar. We also had been working on avatars for five years. So it's not like we were chasing a moment. We had been building for this moment for so long that we had the tech in place to be able to suffice it. Like, you know, Migos, they hosted an entire concert in Oculus at the drop of a hat just because their genies were ready to go and they were made and ready to get activated. So we had lots of instances like that to the extent that we had so many celebrities and people of notoriety that were using genies that we ended up striking deals with UMG and WMG, right? To become the official avatar and digital goods provider for both of those, uh, for both of those conglomerates. And so that really is when we started to onboard um, talent um, in a more formal manner. But before that, it was super ad hoc. It was just like individually. It wouldn't even be working with their management team. We'd just get a DM from Cardi B. She'd be like, hey, can my genie do this, this, and this, right? So it was, it was very, very ad hoc, very scrappy. But at the same time, it was super authentic. And that's it. You know, our mission has always been how do we give avatars to everybody, not how do we give avatars mm -hmm. to celebrities. Mm -hmm. They just ended up being our first early adopters. And I think that's a common misconception people have is, Oh, genies, like they're the celebrity avatar companies. Like, no, like that's who happened to be our first movers and our first adopters, which is kind of a unique circumstance. But really our, our goal is how do we deliver that now in an automated way to every single person on earth? And how does it work in the back end of this? Are you giving them the tools in terms of they'd be able to code themselves or are they using an app? Or you were talking about building this Apple store or yeah. sorry, apps, app store, not Apple store, app store. Um, what does that work like behind the scenes, so to speak? Yeah, so there's like, you know, we're an avatar tools company at our core. We have node code tools, and then we also have tools that are available for the technical community. So some of the different avatar experiences can just use no code tools. So for example, creating your avatar, creating fashion for your avatar, you can leverage, we've been able to release tools that someone that's not technical can create both those aspects. However, if you're creating an avatar experience, you do have to be technical, right? There's a reason why Apple has not released a no-code version for you to be able to create like a top-charting app. It's because if you want something that's of that um, high fidelity and uniqueness and experience or use case, you need almost stick ship control to be able to make that, right? Mm -hmm. And so we haven't released our developer kit widely yet, but we will be releasing our developer kit in its MVP stage by the end of this year. Um, but everything is going to be optimized for AR. Um, which is kind of a gamble, right? Like we're making the bet that um, we want to make sure that our avatars are are fully rigged and ready for when AR is readily available for everybody. And we're making the bet that because Apple is on the fringes right now of being able to release some of these hardware devices, that they're going to be able to crack the code. Um, rarely has Apple missed, right? So like, I mean, like obviously like headwear has been such a difficult process for so many companies over the past 10 years. But Apple, what's so unique about Apple is that they're always, they always let everybody else go first. They're like, okay, yeah, Meta, go release Oculus, Google, go release Google Glass, like Samsung, do whatever you want, like have fun. And mm -hmm. we've been doing research for 10, 15 years. We're going to observe everybody else's use cases. And when we do release, you best believe that we're going to be right. Happen with the iPhone, happen with the iPad. Um, iPod even. Oh, sorry. Happen with, yeah, iPod, happen with the MacBook Pro. And what happens is Apple cracks it. They figure out the hardware aspect of it. And then all the other players quickly start to, they observe, and then they follow suit, right? iPad, then you have Microsoft Surface. iPhone, then everybody went to just full glass screens, right? And so we think that this is going to happen again. And that people, I mean, in order to have an effective AR experience, an avatar or a virtual identity is a prerequisite. I can't play hide and seek in an AR world without Gustav showing up as something. 
So we hope to be that something, right? Like we want to be that provider. And so that's how we want to be able to deliver to the masses that it's not going to be just, you know, I'm going to be able to showcase my avatar on Instagram and TikTok and so forth. We're making a bigger bet. We're saying, no, we're going to be the avatar that's rigged for every single experience of the future. Um, and to us, the future is going to be AR and MR. And for me, let, let's say it's one year in, in, in 2024, 2025, and, and I'm a user. Like, what can you tell me about how my experience of that would be and, and what it would look like? Yeah. So let's assume that you have Apple's AR glass 2025, right? And you're one of the early adopters of this. Um, you can go into their app store and you'll be able to look at all the Genie's avatar ecosystem apps that have been created. Or I know that in the EU right now, um, Apple is being forced to allow anybody to have their own app store and you can cut, you could divert from the 30% cut. So we might have our own app store called the Genie's avatar ecosystem store. When you get there, you can look at all the different Genie's avatar experiences that you can jump into, whether it's hiding something, you know, games such as like hide and seek and beer pong or whatever, or uh, the ability for you to be able to make music together, right? Um, and so like right now, like if I want to make music with you, like it's kind of difficult to do this online, right? Like I, I, we would have to show up together in person to form a meaningful band. But yeah. if we were able to nail the physical presence tech, which is all around spatial audio, it's all around um, spatial mapping, it's about body tracking and face tracking and so forth, then I could put on these glasses. Um, you've created your avatar, right? Um, you show up in a, in, in a seat next to me you have your guitar, I have my drum set, and with all of our motion tracking and our spatial audio tech that, that works with our avatar, we can now produce a song together, right? And that would all happen within these glasses. So that's like one use case, but we hope to have millions of use cases that developers have made using our avatar AR kit to be able to cultivate some of these experiences. I think I'm going to be a, a very early user for this. I think this is the perfect <laughs> <laughs> use case for me as an interviewer. My life has gotten so much easier when I decided I'm not going to do every interview in person. I'm actually going to be in the studio in Stockholm. It doesn't matter if you're in Australia or you're in Los Angeles. It's just so much easier. And I've almost lived in this studio the last two weeks now. And it feels like I've been in the metaverse really because i haven't really met people yeah. in the in like the physical life that much these last two weeks i'm like i really well, like could, it here <laughs> you could argue you know you could you could argue that we've been in metaverse 1.0 for like three four years right because yeah. at the end of the day like i hate the i hate the term metaverse at least yeah. a word in the entire world in lack like, of a better word know, I, I i don't know we yeah, need a, totally, we need a new like, word yeah i'm with you but like the concept of it is basically like how much how digitally immersed are you and how much do you care about your digital identity more than your physical identity? Right. Yeah. And so like, and how, and how efficient can you be with your digital identity over your physical identity? So look, listen, like I think, like I said, like zoom and FaceTime is a method of communicate our methods of communication. And is just trying to emulate the fact that you and I are together in the same room and it's doing a really effective job at that. I think avatars takes it a step further and we're able to unlock more experiences than what we've been used to in the past. Is it also, I, I love, you know, I love thinking about also uh, longevity and these kind of things. Do you think there's a use case for when people passing away to continuing living as a genie? Totally. I mean, like if you want it to be an autonomous, an autonomous behavior, right? Then like, uh, totally. Um, I don't think genie is going to go after that one. I think there's going to be other, right? I think there's going to be other um, avatar AI companies that are focused on that. 
Um, we're focused on the generation that exists today, right? But I do think that there's companies that will want to, like what that really comes down to is how much can we, like let's say for example, you're, you sit there and you make the decision, you know what? I want all of Gustav's kids to remember me and all my mannerisms and interact with me in 50 years when I'm gone, right? Okay, then what you would tell your avatar today is keep track of all of my behaviors, start studying all of my data sets. And for the next 50 years, it will track you. And as it tracks you, it learns your mannerisms. It learns your response time. It learns small things of like, you know, how quick, you know, how often are your eyes averting eye contact when you're in a conversation with somebody so they can mimic all those small, those small things. And like, you know, if there's anything that open, open AI has proven is the fact that this is all possible. It's not, it's not mm. crazy. As long as you're giving the right data and you're, and you, and you do it over a long period of time then yeah, I do think a company is going to crack that code 100%. And then when you do leave, like there will be a version of Gustav that's here that can interact with their kids in an authentic way, for sure. Must have been such a crazy time when, you know, the whole NFT craze happened. You know, the mainstream got into what digital ownership means and tokens and so on. Like, can you describe those weeks months when this happened it must have felt so, like such such a busy time like full of opportunities but also kind of stressful i guess like what was that like for you and for genius the nft stuff was weird because you know we had been working with dabra labs before the pandemic for a for a while at that point and the only reason why we wanted to everybody was introducing me during that time like hey meet akash he's my crypto guy i was like dude i had a i had an i i i i owned my first cryptocurrency like three months ago like we're not really in the crypto business per se the only reason why we wanted to make all of our avatars and the fashion that they were creating nfts themselves was that we wanted to allow our users to be able to trade them right and yeah. you can't trade a unique asset unless it's authenticated as a unique asset so it was really trying to it wasn't really going up to the monetary value or the monetary outcome as much as it was going for that to utilitarian value of being able to trade something um just from like it, we, we just thought that it would enhance the user story that uh we were putting in front of our users so it was crazy in the sense like and i think it was stressful in the sense that people were conflating us with all the other crypto companies which i didn't like i was like hey listen we're a social communications company first and foremost this is all about the power of an avatar now do nfts inherently um inherently level up the power of an avatar 100 percent. does it inherently increase the amount of use cases of an avatar totally do i think nfts and blockchain are going to be really really important as we get more and more digitally immersed 100 percent. But it was just stressful in the sense that like we didn't we didn't want to be bucketed with all of the other like I think NFT projects out there. I hated the mm. fact that we were being called even a project. I was like, we're oh, we're wow. a company and the, this isn't yeah this is we're a company and this is like we have really we have way bigger we have way bigger ambition than everybody else's like short term NFT drop right. Um, that being said, I did think it heightened the awareness and the focus on avatars in the space and as a whole for sure. I saw you, you're doing partnerships with some of the bigger brands such as Gucci. I guess that technology also like kind of allows some of that infrastructure to, to enable things like wearing digital clothing and then being able to trade these. Is that what you mean with, with how it can be helpful? Yeah. Like I can like buy or I can create fashion, right? Let's say for example, I want to create this blue shirt, but I want to put some stitches on it and whatever. And fashion, like DIY, I mean, DIY fashion right now and thrifting, hmm. it's probably one of the most popular experiences that 
people of culture do today, right? Like, especially Gen Z. So we wanted to emulate that for avatars because at the end of the day, an avatar is just a culmination of all the fashion that it's wearing. So we wanted that to be kind of our entry use case. And it's really being used right now as our showcase for all the developers that will ultimately leverage our developer kit to create their own avatar apps. We're using our app as a showcase to be able to show this is what you can do with all the tech that we're going to provide in the dev kit, right? Mm. And uh, in order to drive, I think, the behaviors that we wanted to see from our audience, we wanted to make it so that people could create fashion and then trade fashion and then also be able to sell fashion. And to do all to, to, to do the latter two, after you create something, it needs to be an NFT. At least if you want to confirm to them that this is, in fact, the, the, you know, the blue shirt with the stitches that Akash did make. I wanted to also dive into a bit about the lifestyle of a founder and, uh, and a CEO. Um, and uh, you tweeted, I, I read, you said, anything monumental comes from very real and significant sacrifice, which I can totally relate to. Um, and um, I want to hear, like, what's your relationship with sacrifice? And w what is it that you feel you're sacrificing? Yeah, I just, you know, I, I feel like my relationship with sacrifice is ongoing. Uh, I've sacrificed a lot. Um, but at the same time, I, I feel like I've gained a lot, right? And I feel like you sacrifice experiences and then you gain experiences. And life is really just about the experiences you have with the relationships you make. Like that's really what you boil life down to. And so I don't think I would trade this genie's journey and experience for anything in this entire world, but like the sacrifice that people have to realize, and like that's me personally, right? But the reason why I tweeted that was because you hear so many people more and more often say like, oh yeah, like I'm, you know, I'm disrupting the world with this new product and it's going to do this, this, and it's going to solve world hunger, something like that. And you observe them for a while and you're like, I don't think that's going anywhere because you're partying all the time, you're prioritizing look and like this is the truth you're prioritizing your friends and you're prioritizing your family and you're prioritizing your weekend agenda above what you're saying is going to disrupt the entire world and the truth is is that more times than not like 99.9 percent .9 of the time it requires aggressive aggressive days like especially the early days it requires mm. 14 15 hour days six days a week one day to be able to recharge and then you get right back in there I experienced that firsthand. Like, look, you go back to 2019, 2020, 2021, moving into my office, right? And so, like, it, it, it does require... I, I look back and I'm like, if I didn't do that, would we be where we are today? And, like, I think the answer is kind of up in the air. It's like, shit, like, I don't know. Like, you kind of needed to take advantage of all these little moments that were happening to be able to propagate your company to the next level of execution. So, you know, I feel like entrepreneurship is getting more and more popular these days, which is awesome because the barrier to entry is much lower and i think this world needs more and more innovation right um, yeah. and it always will need more and more innovation however you need to be able to filter out the bullshit and you need to be able to bet on the right people and you need to make sure that the people that are in the uh that that are in the race are the right horses to bet on and a huge huge signal to me is based on how much are you sacrificing in order to do what you're saying that's going to be monumental What's a week like for you now as a CEO? Do you do a lot of traveling or are you very like routine bound or what's super the, routine? What's yeah, the super, super routine. Um, yeah, I've become like, I think over the years, I've just become super, super obsessed. I've always kind of, I feel like been this way. I've, I'm always obsessed with self-improvement. 
mm-hmm. and self-improvement in the context of genius for sure. And I feel like anything that I do that is self-improvement adjacent still somehow helps genies, right? Um, so I work six days a week. Sunday is like my holy day to have no meetings. And I just literally get to go through my own work and my own agenda. And I set up my Sunday framework on Fridays. So at the end of the workday on Fridays, I sit there. I'm like, what am I going to do on Sunday? What are the thoughtful questions that I want to be able to ask myself? And um, what do I want to come in on Monday with very new answers to? Um, Monday through Friday, it is jam packed with meetings. However, I schedule meetings. I think, I think when you're at this, uh, at this stage, the best thing that you can do as a manager is really threefold. One, you want to be able to set the strategy and vision for a certain initiative. Number two, you want to be able to hire effectively for the personnel that are going to help execute that strategy or initiative. And then number three, once you set the deadline for, for the expected outcome that you want from that strategy or initiative, you just are asking thoughtful questions to that person all the way through. And I feel like people are scheduling meetings just to be able to get an update. And I don't do update meetings. I'm like, send me the updates async. I never want to have a meeting with you just to see like, what have you done? <laughs> I always want to make it a thoughtful question to see your process of thinking. And I actually created like a chart for thoughtful questions. I was like, there's three different buckets of a thoughtful question. There's alignment, there's current strategy, and there's future innovation. And a thoughtful question really means a scenario question. Paint a scenario to them. Okay, if you were to have these seven resources, what would you do with this? If uh, there was no mu- if your budget was X, Y, and Z, what would be your initiative? If your initiative hit on two, whatever, like you go through all these different mm-hmm. scenarios. And if you have the right person in place, they've run through the scenarios really, really well. And so I call them high impact meetings. So I have around 17 people at the business that are part of high impact meetings. And I run a high impact with one of them for 90 minutes straight, once every two weeks. So that's that's like the cadence of like the business aspect of things. And I think that's worked really well for us. But then in terms of me personally, um, I wake up at around 630 with an alarm. I don't check any of my email. I don't check any of my messages. I go downstairs. I have an iPad that has all the news apps on it, but they have uh, no, it, it has uh, no social media, has no messaging, whatever. And I go down in front of my fireplace and I just read the news for 45 minutes. It has nothing to do with work and it cleanses my brain. I drink tea. And then after that, do I check my phone for the very first time? And I call it Chromeless Fire. And that shit has changed, like has changed my life. It just, you wake up with a little bit more mm. of like an even keel and then you get into work and then I work out once a day and then I get back to the office. So it's aggressive though. I leave the office last night. I left the office at 11.30, 11.30 p.m. And I got back in the office today at 7 a.m. So it's aggressive. And I think that's like, again, like I, I, I can't stress it enough. Like just because you are aware of mental health and you are mental health conscious like myself, doesn't mean that it, it means that you're not supposed to work really hard and sacrifice a shit time. Like yeah. you have to be aware of all ends of the spectrum and they all kind of come together at once. There's a lot of things there that I think are just so interesting. And one of them is regarding the meetings. We use the PPP, the progress plans and problems. And, uh, you know, that's like writing out everything that has happened, write out the plans, write out if you have any problems. And when people write that and send that to you before the meeting, everybody realizes we don't need a meeting. I think that's like the next step. We're like, you know, now you can do a lot of things remote, but the next step will be everything should be asynchronous. That can be, um, I want to, oh, I want to end I'm off with that. I want to end off with a few things. Um, you know, people sometimes ask, what would you say to your younger self? But I actually think a better question is what would your younger self 
say to you? Like, what would 10-year-old Akash、mm. say to 30-year-old? Would he be like happy with the outcome? Would he, you know, <laughs> would he think that, would he be proud of you? Yeah, no, I think younger self Akash would say, take even more. Like, you know, I sit here, I'm like, yeah, I feel like we're taking really big gambles and we're taking really big risks. And I feel like when they're calculated, they pay off. I think younger Akash would be like, yeah, go even harder on that. Like, risk more,、uh, bet bigger. And it's because, like, when you're younger, you dream way bigger. And I feel like that's where you're the most creative. And I feel like younger Akash would be like, find your creative self most. And put yourself in more creative environments when you can. And so that's kind of where like the rigor of like the schedule comes into play. It's like on Sundays, like go by yourself, go into like, go get an Airbnb in the middle of the hills and just sit there with your notebook and just like write out as many things as you can because you never want to lose that aspect. And, you know, when the company is growing and you've raised this money, as you were saying, and you have this, this many people on staff, you can, that can get away from you really quickly. So just continue with the innovation, continue to be yourself. And I feel like, Uh, bet bigger, risk bigger every single step of the way. Yeah, 100%. I was actually、uh, traveling for almost a month and I was by myself all, like, almost three out of four weeks. And that was like such a good thing to do, just zooming out and being isolated and just writing, kind of like, you know, finding a lot of things you wouldn't find if you have a lot of people around you all the time.、Um, a really good thing to do.、Um, 100%. And, so, In the future, you talked about this plan that you're having and, and doing this big bet on AR. You've previously also mentioned a 10 step plan for Genius, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. how, how would you, what, what's next here for both a caution for, for Genius from here on? I think we're in, we're in、uh, step three of the step 10 plan.、Um, step one was just honestly like get people to understand that avatars are actually going to be important and that you can use it to be able to express yourself. Step two, Was how can we start to offer a lot of the tools that we've already been giving to celebrities to users for the very first time and allow them to be able to create an avatar? And step three is now letting them create those experiences.、Um, you know, Genies right now is in a really, really cool situation、uh, where, you know, two months ago we opened up the,、uh, our beta for tens of thousands of people that have been on the waiting list for quite some time. They've been watching all of their. All their celebrities and their favorite talents and idols have been using Genies for the past couple of years. And they're like, when do we get ours? So we started to let them into the private app so that they can start creating their own Genies, start creating their own fashion, and eventually we'll create their own experiences too.、Um, but this year we expect to go public. But anybody can download it,、uh, download the app, start creating their 3D Genie. It'll be rigged for AR already, it'll be rigged for VR too. So if you want to be able to take it into those environments, you can. And we can start to dog food with our initial community. So, This year is all about executing for the masses.、Um, and we hope to be able to do that、um, in its first stage this summer. So we're really excited. Boom. Wow. I think this is, this is one of the most like, exciting companies I know about、uh, now and, and have known about the、oh, last、yeah. year. So big props. Thanks for talking with me today. And、uh, I'll, I'll hope to meet in person someday <laughs> or in the avatar. Hell yeah, man. <laughs> 100%, dude. Thank you so much, man. It was great talking、Thanks. to you.